Hey kids, you uh, you trying to get into Segment City? Well, you really shouldn't, because Segment City is a mature podcast, and listener discretion is advised. I'm just trying to look at. I know I'm in an alleyway. I know. I know how I look. But I got some fireworks for you kids. I got snakes and I got sparklers. That's all I got. Oh, don't give me that. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going, Theo? It's going well, Will. What's going on in the world of Segment City? What's going on, listeners? It's They're, it's Will and Theo in the e- evening. In, in the evening when everybody listens to the radio. Sitting down for dinner, it's it's radio time. We're gonna next we're gonna go to Winston Churchill with some kind of fun address. Hey! <laughs> he's just risen from the grave and now he's just a ghost inspector. It's your veggies. Hey, it's a me. I'm dead because Churchill. I my veggies. I smoked so many cigars, but I was so witty and I drank a lot of whiskey. Now back to the grave with me. See you no, later. No. Now back to real Segment City, the way that we actually talk. Hi, welcome everybody to Segment City. This is a podcast in which Theo and I do impressions of dead people poorly. Only Winston Churchill. <laughs> oh, we only do. It's a Winston Churchill uh, impressionist podcast. We only, the only one of its kind. We're running out of segments because we just keep doing this one. <laughs> And this is a well, yes, we do other segments. We do uh, segments having to do with history or uh, Amazon erotica or, or just <laughs> a lot of just anything we really want to talk about. Just and we try gags. to surprise each other. We try to make each other laugh. I have a surprise. Oh, whoa. Because we're starting the podcast the way we always do with Theo's stupid thought. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's a wait, surprise. Wait. It's a takeover. I feel like this is gaslighting. Is this gaslighting? You, you're well, trying to I, convince me I don't that know what I you're talking about. It. I don't know. What you're Am I about. crazy? I've been having the stupid thoughts the whole time. Oh Jesus, dude! I can't. You can't do this to me. I'm already g- cracking. <laughs> Just tell me what the thought is. A fun name for an online dating site would be Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm on board. You're here's on... the money for it. <laughs> we have here's the here's the elevator pitch. Yeah. Shitty UI, 90s user interface, posting uh-huh. from people, randos on the strangers, uh, rangers, randos on the internet looking for other people. Can I, okay, can I add to it? Yeah, here we go. The pictures that you add to it are going to be in that 90s theme, so they're all going to be ASCII art. Yeah, they're going to be gross, but it's, they're going to be, gonna be, an, like they're an gonna be ASCII, ASCII gross. It's going to be ASCII like version of my face, so it's going to like be a little bit jagged <laughs> and weird. And it's like, is that his mustache or does he have a second mouth? And like, I don't know, but either way, swipe right. But there's no yeah, swiping. There's just clicking this old timey button. Okay, do you okay, do you bid on these people? You could what's, bid. What's the Craigslist like angle? Is it just the bad UI? It's the bad UI and it's just people posting whatever they're offering or whatever they're looking for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for uh, a hot tall mm-hmm. Greek man <gasps> oh with my. I better, I better be glasses. I better get this uh, Craigslist profile all, all shimmied up and, in, in, uh, you know, looking real prim and proper. And 
but I hate video games. Oh, jeep. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh. If I see a single video game, <laughs> I'm gonna flip my shit. Your market just went from one person to zero per- people with that one statement. Oh, dang it. Oh. I bet there's a tall Greek man <laughs> that, that I could find. Tall Greeks in your area. Tall Greeks? That's a different app. Okay, let's... <laughs> It's like farmers only, but for <laughs> tall Greeks. But for tall Greeks. That's my stupid thought for this week. It's just this. It, so you. <laughs> I just came up with the goof name and. Yeah, I know. To share I know it. you. I know that you. Oh, I know that you didn't think about this enough. <laughs> no. But. <laughs> Look, half but, my whole life is like the monkey's paw, right? Like I have big thoughts left and right. You would. You would probably do all the worst things with the monkey paw. You would be the person that's like, I want a million dollars. And then the monkey's paw is like, did he not read the short story? I'm going to just <laughs> murder someone close to him. Meh. And he gets inheritance. And you're like, eh, whatever. Whatever. Mm, I would write a contract with the monkey's paw. And the monkey is paws like, just like, a, what the, f- uh, what are you doing? Like the, just starts doing like the, the wrists. Like, like like what, what are you, you doing? doing? Come on. <laughs> Come on. And, and then it signs it. And it's like, fine. Okay. You got me. Hmm. Craigslist. Craigslist. Mm-mm. That sounds like a. It sounds like a uh, prostitution site. I'm not. Gonna it would quickly devolve into it. Let's be real with ourselves. Yeah, there. It would have a lot of monet- monetary stuff. Hey Theo. Hey. I'm. I'm gonna. Quick spoilers. I'm doing one big segment. Oh. This week. So would you like to follow up that segment with the segment of your own? If yeah. You're why doing don't we sandwich? Well, I've got two. So why don't we sandwich yours? I've okay. got I've got another another small one for you. We got a All we right. got a rendition of million dollars, but million dollars, but you have to put yourself on the Craig's Craigslist. You have to be the founding member of Craigslist. And oh, that's first, a <laughs> be the first one on there. I have to. I'll catfish people. Nobody wants me. <laughs> that's the point. You're the catfisher. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always only been the catfishy. I've Wait. I've always wanted to be on this side of the relationship. <laughs> I've always wanted to be in a relationship. <laughs> All right. Million dollars, but. Uh-huh. Million dollars, but you're haunted by people who died while sitting on the toilet. And they <laughs> visit you to warn you about how dangerous pooping can be. All right. Let's pull up. Let's Google people who have died on the toilet. Number one is absolutely going to be Elvis. Uh, Elvis is going <laughs> to just be like. Listen, maybe you shouldn't be having peanut butter and, and banana and bacon sandwiches. Those make nasty shits. Those you know, just rip like, through your system. Those... <laughs> you're gonna it be... doesn't come out of any blue suede. You're going to be all shook say. up. There's a Wikipedia list of people who died on the toilet. This is the best. Oh, okay. Before 20th century? 20th century... 21st century we gotta we gotta we gotta think that there's gotta be way more unrecorded cases throughout history you know bc times medieval how many people died on the toilet in bc times in medieval times let's go let's go let's go through it okay uh b 581 bc in china jin china this is the duke jin jing of jin age unknown died falling into a toilet toilet pit I love it. <laughs> so you would be like, hey, but watch out for the toilet pits. And I go, we don't have those anymore. We're good. And you'd be like, well, maybe they should make a comeback because they're a great way to murder someone. I wouldn't know because I died. Yeah. Uh, 3, 
36 AD in Constant- Constantinople. Wait, I was... Okay, hold on. Yeah. Sorry, I just had a massive brain fart where you said toilet pit, and I imagined, yeah. like... A big toilet. No, no, no. I, no, I was imagining a um, like a landfill, but they're all to- just filled with toilets, and someone like pushed him in there <laughs> and he, like fell into what? it. He's like, oh my god! It's like the Sarlacc pit, but for shit. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> the, the shitlack pit. The shitlack pit. Uh, Arius was eighty when he died, and he died from explosive what? gastrointestinal problems while in a public toilet. Good so gracious! He, he died from. Just pooping too From much. Explosive he, he exploded in public. Gastrointestinal. What year problems. was that again? That was in three thirty-six AD. Jesus, what a way to go! That guy. Yeah. He, honestly, the fact that it happened in public, he's probably a legend in his time. Yeah. Ooh, the next one. A king. A king. king? Edmund II of England died in Oxford or London, they don't know, they don't, in 10, 1016. Now, we don't know much about his death, but we do know it happened on the <laughs> toilet. <laughs> he got stabbed from under a toilet seat while <gasps> defecating. Someone now, was in... No, someone <laughs> underneath him and stabbed up. That's this horrifying. We're just changing this to Wikipedia historian. We're just going through this. So, yeah, he got stabbed. The next person also got stabbed. With, but with a spear and it was a duke of bohemia uh bohemia was a place where was bohemia i don't know in 1035 it was the duke of bohemia uh jaromir and he was stabbed with a spear while defecating from what, under the toilet what seat. kind of assassin plan is that it's like all right guys we've got a master plan we've got to sneak <laughs> in to the palace we've got to hide in the toilet. And then, Side addendum, we are going to need a volunteer for that. It is nasty, <laughs> I know, but we've worked so hard for this plan. You know, we've all contributed, and Ron, you haven't done much. <laughs> I think maybe it's your turn. You're the shittiest employee, therefore very appropriate you that you You already smell like doo-doo, and we all think you need to breathe, so maybe this is your time to shine. Imagine this big fat king comes in and he goes, Oh, oh, that was a big... I shouldn't have had all those buffalo wings. And the guy <laughs> under is like, no, 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 no. I shall make a donation <laughs> to the treasury now. I must fill the coffers. <laughs> and the guy just starts stabbing instinctively. He's like, oh, who's down there? Jesus. And the worst, the worst part is worst. you couldn't even kill him before he pooped to escape the punishment because when he died, he would, he would uh, shit himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these, uh, there's another one assassinated, uh, Duke of Lower Lorraine. It just says assassinated, murder with spear while sitting in the garden robe, bowel explosion while trying to defecate. Bowel Uh, explosion? (laughs) Bowel explosion (laughs) is my new band name. In 1483, that's a punk rock name if I've ever heard of it. Uh, allegedly assassinated while using a toilet, collapsed shortly after attending to his close stool, possibly died of aortic an- aneurysm. A close stool is a type of portable toilet. Wait, what? In the shape of a cabinet or box at sitting height with an opening in the top? It is a, it's a chair. <laughs> no, it's a chair. Bas- it's a chair with a box underneath that you can put yeah. into. It's so ba- they 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 basically took a chair and instead of having a regular seat, they just made those things for babies, like toddlers, <laughs> when you're trying to bot- potty train them. This sounds like some shitty millennial thing where they're like, "Do you order from Amazon all the time? Do you not know what to do with the boxes? We've got mm-hmm. for you a fun side project during quarantine." 
Cut a hole. In, <laughs> step one, cut a hole in the top of the box. Step two, bring it to your friend's social distance picnic. <laughs> There's the the only one of the of the 20th century that's good because all the other ones are died from drug orders, including Elvis. But uh, in Tillian, Somerset, England, uh, in 1966. Evelyn Wone, 62, died of a heart attack while attending a Latin mass, which is a Roman Catholic mass. And so imagine she's like, this thing is boring the shit out of me. <laughs> Speaking of which, she goes and she's just like, I can feel the Holy Spirit. Oh, my heart. <laughs> uh, and then modern ones are all just like cardiac arrest. Oh, how boring. Come on, people. Step your game up. There's one that's uh, become unconscious on an airplane laboratory en route to Spain and was given emergency treatment, later was pronounced dead in Dofa Airport while in transit. And that Good was God. in Qatar. So, well, the uh, question. For a million dollars, would you be haunted by these people, by these individuals? It would all be drug overdoses or assassinations. So I think I would be assassinated. Yeah. <laughs> you're just trying to poop in peace. And someone's like, and they're just watch like, out. Someone's underneath you. And you're like, no, modern plumbing prevents that from happening. <laughs> it's literally impossible. There's no space underneath. Well, you better watch out for those knives. The Duke looks at, uh, he watches Jaws. Like I'm watching it on my phone while I'm shitting. And he goes, that's what happened. Remember how people were scared of toilets. They thought Jaws was going to happen. That, that happened me. to me. That was me. That was me. I was the OG Jaws. People, it would just be people being like, oh, oh, look out. There might be somebody in your toilet. And I'm just like, <laughs> no. And I looked. I check every single time. There's never been a guy where they're like, hey, don't have a bowel bowel explosion. Hey, don't, don't <laughs> shit so much that you die. And I'm just like, I think I'm good. Don't live in medieval times when food is dangerous and you have to watch what you eat or else your bowel will explode. Yeah, that's a bad time. And then the other people are like, hey, don't take drugs. And I'm like, a dare already took care of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dare's got me covered. I'm a kid of the 90s. <laughs> 90s kid. Uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Speaking of a time period... Good. Let's go on to my Will segment. Will with these spicy segues. He's always I try. here. I try. <laughs> so, speaking of dates, this is a Wikipedia historian. Even though I'm not using Wikipedia, I'm just using the name of the segment because it is a historian. Uh, this is from the Smithsonian Magazine. This is an article. Uh, and it is about the 1908 New York to Paris auto race. New York to Paris? Yes. How do you get from what New do you, York to Paris? <laughs> what do you think? How do you think you get? So it is a car race in 1908 from New York to Paris. How do you think they achieved this? Are you allowed to drive your car into a boat? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, okay. So here's. Okay. So here are my thoughts. Option one, get your car onto another form of transportation, either a plane or a uh -huh. boat. Option uh -huh. two, turn your car into another form of transportation, i.e. a car or a boat. Uh, that's it. I love that your your one of your plans is to make duck boats. Yes, <laughs> to invent duck, boats duck boats. Invented in 1908. No, the no. plan is to go uh, f from New York oh, up th through Canada, yeah, over the Bering Strait while it's frozen in winter, through Russia, all the way to Paris. Wild bananas. This is okay. So this I'm gonna a, first of all. This this is a bad plan. It's 1908. They, There's no we haven't good, even you don't even have good roads. My boy. 
my boy we haven't even gotten there also i love that you're like via airplane i'm like airplanes were made of paper <laughs> at this point it was the time it was like pre-world war one and even in world war one they had like a, a man with a pistol in the cockpit he was trying to shoot other planes down there was nothing so this is from the smithsonian magazine and it's from uh a article called paris or bus the great new york to paris auto race of 1908 the subheading is even before there were roads there were men who wanted to drive fast <laughs> which is just perfect <laughs> so 1908 is you know, i will give you a reference i i have you ever watched chitty chitty bang bang mm-hmm. i watched it like just the last week but it does like it has like car races that are in like 1907 1908 i will give you a reference that you will understand maybe you know in red dead redemption how the fbi agents have those like terrible cars mm-hmm. that are basically just like a metal box with wheels yep somebody just put it like a big chair in it and there's like a, uh, there's like the driver's seat which is in the middle and it's like way up yeah yeah and there's there's no windshield and they barely have a covering it's those cars yeah okay so that's for a reference I, so let me just get right into it because and feel free to stop me the only alter- alterations i made to this article are cutting it for time like cutting down uh and adding in uh the nationality of each car before the name of the car because okay. I, I just had to find a replace because i got confused i was like there's there's like six car names and i kept on getting confused who was what all right so the men who lined up in the swirling snow of Times square on the morning of february 12th 1908 were embarking on a nearly unimaginable feat, a race from New York to Paris, westward. westward. The contest was sponsored by the French newspaper Le Matin and the New York Times. The prize, a 1,400-pound trophy, <laughs> and proving it could be done. Wait, pound is in it was worth 1,400 pounds, or it, would, no. it weighed 1,400 pounds? I think it weighed 1,400 pounds. How are you going to get that back to New York, my guy? <laughs> That's, yeah, that's a whole different drive race. Are you going to drive back? Well, you have to take it. <laughs> Let's drive all the way back. And they just go all Jesus. the way back the same way. The proposed route would take the drivers across the United States, including through areas with very few paved roads, and then head north through Canada. Next came a left turn at Alaska, which sounds like it's a Looney Tunes thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, which just drive- go until you get to Alaska and take a All left. right. Hey, can you give us directions to the Bering Strait? <laughs> it's just an upstate New York, and it's like, I, what? Uh, which drivers had to cross... Uh, next came a turn in Alaska, which the drivers had to cross in order to arrive at the Bering Strait, which separated the American wilderness from the Russian one. The racist organizers started in the middle, middle of winter in the hope that the strait would be frozen. The course then led through Siberia, which no one had traveled by car, before heading into the final stretch, Moscow, St. Petersburg, Berlin, and Paris. Overall, a 22,000-mile trek in the age when Jesus. the horse was considered more reliable than the horseless carriage. The New York to Paris trip uh, race was supposed to be, and is largely still con- largely considered, the greatest of them all, even surpassing the prior year's Peking to Paris competition, in which the winner, Italian prisk- Prince uh, Siscopone... Borg has say uh, enlisted donkeys and mules to pull his car and sl- sipped oily water from the, its radiator to relieve his thirst. Oh God! His, his reward was a magnum of champagne. Uh, he was- <laughs> <laughs> Good job, you did it. Here's some champagne. Here's a, here's a cup of champagne for you. And he just goes like, "I went from Peking." to paris to be fair he was already a prince he probably doesn't even need the prize 
that that seems to be a running through once we get to the people you will kind of see i want to meet these this cast of characters this is some it is wacky races let's just get right into it in times squares that morning 17 men including drivers mechanics and journalists crammed into six cars from four countries three from france one each from germany germany italy and the united states a quarter of a million people lined broadway up to the northmost harlem the american entry Entry, a 60-horsepower touring card called the Thomas Flyer, carried three extra gasoline tanks and a capacity of 125 gallons with a primitive canvas convertible top. They're starting in winter, and it has a canvas top. Gotta love having that convertible in February in New York. Yeah, also it didn't have a windshield. Gotta love it. So it was just a little bit of a top. (laughs) The race was scheduled to begin at 11 a.m., when the mayor, George B. McLean Jr., son of the Union Civil War general, planned to fire the starting pistol. But he was characteristically late. At a quarter past, railroad financier Colgate Hoyt snatched a golden gun from the table and shot into the air. Someone just so grabbed this, it and was like, oh. So he was like so impatient, he was just, go, oh, whatever. I'm sick of watching these cars. The contestants represented an international roster of personalities. G. Borsier de saint Chartres driving the French de Dion, uh, once organized a motorboat race from Marseille to Algiers that resulted in every single boat sinking in the Mediterranean. (laughs) He's like, and I know what I'm going to do next, father. (laughs) I'm going to do a race. You know what? You can't sink in land, which you will be proven wrong. (laughs) Uh, His captain was Hans Hendrik Hansen, Good old HHH, a swashbuckling Norwegian who claimed to have sailed a Viking ship solo to the North Pole. Yeah, that doesn't seem reliable. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the North Pole. I saw Santa and I killed him. I'm Santa now. (laughs) I I came back. No more presents. Somebody should create a movie about this starring some man named Tim Allen. (laughs) He declared that he and his companions would reach Paris or, quote, our bodies will be found inside the car. Great. Get to Paris so that's a, trying. That's a great, uh, great little sentiment there. I really like that he's just planning for it. He's ready. He's like, <laughs> oh, I'm ready to die. He's the full Viking blood. And the, the fr- Frenchmen are like, we are not. We're not. We're the last thing on my bucket list was to go to the North Pole and check a Rooney. Mm-hmm. Frenchman Charles Godard uh, driving the Moto Block. Uh, participated in the Peking to Paris race without having driven a car and set an endurance record by driving single-handedly for 24 hours nonstop. Good for him. He can do Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Emilio Sirtori, the driver for the Italian Zust, took with him 21-year-old journalist and poet Antonio Scarfaloli. So he brought to a, have poet. a poet to have along. You know, he needed some entertainment. This is 1900s. Of course you bring a poet to write down your tales. Yes. Uh, And bravely drove Sir Robin. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I love this guy because there's like a few quotes sprinkled throughout this from him. Uh, Who had threatened to pilot a motorboat across the Atlantic if his father didn't let him enter the race. His father, a prominent newspaper editor in Naples, relented. Father, I want to do the race. (laughs) 
Exactly. He was just like, if I can't do the car race, then I will drive a motorboat across the Atlantic. And he's like, son, there's what do you? There's no oil out there. What are you gonna do for fuel? That's it, father. You never listen to me. Father, if I want to die at sea, I shall, or I'll die in this car. And he's like, well, people might recover his body then, so go in the car. The German entrant, driving the German Protos, was an aristocratic army officer named Hans Koppen, who regarded the race as an opportunity to raise his rank from lieutenant to captain. What? Excuse me, did he make a deal with his, with his, uh, with his sergeant or whatever his... Uh... Yeah. The superior officer was? If you go across the United States, maybe we will give you a a quick promotion. Hello, sir. (laughs) I've been meaning to talk to you about my upcoming promotion. I think I have checked all of the boxes. Have you checked the long distance? Have you gotten the badge for long distance driving? I'm not sure what you mean. Driving isn't a thing yet. I, well, it's like having a horse, but we want to see if your butts can handle a chair for a while so and wait. holding onto a bad wheel. Wait, you're telling me that Carl just did this? He just got promoted. He checked this box? Oh, he's a general now. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> All right, I'm going. <laughs> he made the Autobahn. We're going to go on the Autobahn. Uh, Montague Monty Roberts, manning the Thomas Flyer, which is the American, was a gregarious crowd favorite and one of the few American drivers who actually trained for races. Okay. I don't know if that meant... I've heard that that meant he physically, like, would actually work out. Or maybe he was the only one that was like, maybe I should drive outside of (laughs) racing. Gotta prepare my body for this. Uh, eh. Gotta get huge. Drink those egg yolks. I think I'm good. Everybody else was like a baseball player, and they're just like, whatever, (laughs) I'm gonna get fat on the offseason. His teammate was George Schuster, a 35-year-old mechanic for the E.R. Thomas Motor Company in Buffalo, New York. (laughs) So one person elected to bring a poet, and the other guy elected to bring a mechanic. Yeah, I think everybody else said mechanics because they are going to need them. These were 1908 cars, which means (laughs) they break down literally every day. Uh, One of 21 children born to Casper Schuster, a German immigrant who worked at a blacksmith, George was an expert in radiator soldering, chassis inspector, motor tuner, and test driver. To Roberts, he was an ideal choice, high enough in the factory hierarchy to be considered indispensable, but too low to steal attention from Roberts himself. Can we just talk about the fact that some woman's job was just being pregnant? She had oh, yeah. 21 fucking children. 21 kids. That's why I kept this in. Normally I would cut that, but I was like, that's wild. Her whole <laughs> life was just being pregnant. It's hard enough to be a, like, if somebody's the middle child of like three kids, imagine being like number 12. The middle that's child why... of 21 children. Oh my you God. You just can't do anything. <laughs> What's your so name you... again? Yeah, exactly. They would just be like, well, how? I should just stop. I... If only they would invent birth control. <laughs> After the starting shot, the cars moved forward. Scarfoglio wrote, Between two thick hedges of extended hands amidst the roar as of a falling torrent. You can tell that he was the poet. The poet blew a kiss to the crowd and they were off. They were off. August Pons, driver for the French Césaire Nordin, dropped out after only 96 miles with a broken differential. That's it. Yeah, he's done. I'm like, I'm out. So we're down to five already. <laughs> the French de Dion, the F- Italian Zust, and the Thomas Flyer quickly emerged as the leaders. The German Prot- Protos and the French Mont- Motobloc uh, bring up, bringing up the rear. 
In Hudson, New York, the cars plowed through foot-deep snow in a single file. That's Schuster- pretty incredible. <laughs> Schuster circled the Thomas Flyer, which had no heater or windshield, with a stick to check snow depth and put down planks for traction. So he was just walking around the car? Yeah, literally, they, they said, they, I think they say in a little bit that uh, some of the distances were not in miles. They were in, like, feet that they would Jesus. make. They were they were going single. There's no roads. There's barely any roads. They should, going have through. A, they should have had a race between someone on a car and someone just literally walking. Exactly. You, you could walk faster. I mean, <laughs> later, they're going to start zooming. But, like, right now, you could literally walk faster. I will also bring up, they didn't bring this up in the, in the <laughs> article, but I heard... That uh, the New York Times, because they were like paying for it, were put a uh, a reporter in the Thomas Flyer, which is the American car, and apparently he was a morbidly obese man, oh God. which I think is hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> All right, we gotta choose like someone for this story. The and, heaviest uh, man that we could find for this race, and Jesus. he just like gets into the uncomfortable car, and he's like, "Oh, oh, so when are we gonna stop next?" <laughs> Do you guys have air conditioning? Oh, that doesn't exist yet? Oh, shoot. Good thing it's cold and there's no heating. I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> but just like, I don't mean to like fat shame, but also it's hilarious. <laughs> but that's the guy they chose. They didn't take that's, any that's consideration. Because it's conserve. Like, you need to conserve space and you need to conserve weight. And they're just like the heaviest man, please, the that we have. One, please. On, and it's just hilarious. The trail out of Auburn, which the New York Times described as the worst road in the United States lived up to its reputation with the Good, three leading hey guys cars. let's take let's take that one for our big yep. race the three leading cars getting mired at dismal hollow in montezuma swamp the men prepared to camp for the night but an american guide hired by the italians came with six horses to pull the cars through why so now this, they're just why going this, full carriage why does it sound like a children's book we've got to make our way through montezuma swamp and through the hollow, and then we'll find the witch's house. Then you take a left at Canada, and then you're, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're good. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada thanks, boom, bada th- boom. <laughs> thanks, map from Dora the Explorer. <laughs> uh, they settled into a routine, rising at 5 a.m. and driving until 8 p.m., with the mechanics tinkering with the cars until midnight to repair cracks in the chassis and drain the radiators to keep them from freezing. At the time, antifreeze was primarily used to produce explosives. <laughs> Okay. Yep. This seems they st- fine. They stopped at hardware stores to fill up on gasoline, one bucket full at a time. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Excuse me? Loose buckets of gasoline. Let me get a uh, bucket of gas. Sorry, also, what, sorry, what did you say? Did you say bu- bucket of gas? Also, can you get me a Twix? Also one Twix. Also one Twix. And um, we're smoking nonstop because it's 1908. So get me a pack of smokes. <laughs> Next yeah, to this loose gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> That's They would absolutely do that. Um, the teams forged a tense agreement in which they alternated, alternated leadership every five hours, but the spirit of co- cooperation quickly dissolved. They convinced themselves that an hour or two would make the difference in a six-month race <laughs> <laughs> and feared that their opponents would sneak off in the middle of the night. St. Chaffray took to giving imperious orders. When you wish to go into a city ahead, you ask me, he told Roberts. The American replied, from now on, you will know this is a race. Ooh, the showmanship is heating up. Mm -hmm. 
The animosity increased as they trekked through the snow-battered Midwest, with the Italians accusing the Americans of cheating by using railroad tracks and the aid of a trolley car. <laughs> a few of the foreigners' uh, comp- competitors took offense at the locals, whom they perceived as boorish. Scarfoglio sent a slide dispatch. I do not like the Americans as a whole, just as I do not like the cheesemonger whom a prize in a lottery or a sudden rise in the price of potatoes has made wealthy. (laughs) (laughs) There is still too much of the herdsmen about them. These common folk do not listen to my orders. They say, who the fuck are you? You don't (laughs) even go here. Exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. In Indiana, the French Moto Block and the German Protoss teams resented the fact that they had to pay significant sums for the aid of horses and men, while the Thomas Flyer was swarmed by hosiers, anxious to volunteer. They sent a plea to the president of the Chicago Automobile Club, which the Tribune printed under the headline, Foreigner's Pathetic Appeal! <laughs> <laughs> So, so, they, the, so they got the, the auto club got the letter and was like, print it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just sent this and they're just like, what a bunch of babies. I fucking love it. <laughs> I love it. Clap back, my dudes. We are discouraged. The note began. The peasants demand $3 per mile for helping us. By the way, great calling on peasants. They charge $5 each to permit us to sleep on the ground. Peasants all along the way have filled up road dug by leading cars so as to help the Thomas car, which it, it would be possible to influence a peg. Would it be possible to influence public opinion to aid us? <laughs> After he just called them peasants. These so- peasants, can they be a little less um peasanty? And there's like, I think the problem is that you're calling them peasants. <laughs> I think that might be a problem. I love that the, I, I'm not, my terrible French accent probably covered this up, but the, the American, the Americans would dig out the American t- car and then they would fill it in, fill in the stuff that they dug out <laughs> to so slow down slow the down. foreigners. Yeah. It is great. I love that American spirit. But uh, this is also not listed in the, uh, in the thing that farmers apparently back in the day hated cars. Hmm. And so they would like ask for directions and they'd be like, go that way. And it's like <laughs> a completely different direction. <laughs> and then when they get to Russia, it's just spoilers. They get to Russia. Um, they, people would like hide glass in the road <laughs> to try to mess oh, them up. Jesus. Cause they're just like, th- just to mess with the Americans. Uh, by March 8th, the Thomas Flyer was leading in Julesburg, Colorado, and lead- and traveling with a new passenger, Hans Hendrik Hansen. The Norwegian had quit St. Chauffeur's team after the French de Dion got stuck in a particularly bad snowdrift. When Hansen, the Arctic explorer expert, uh, failed to extricate it, he and the Frenchman began to argue. They agreed to settle the matter with a duel. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> but before they could find their pistols, St. Jeffrey made an executive and cool-headed decision to fire Hansen. <laughs> He's just like, wait, what am I doing? I can just fire you. I don't you. need to duel you. I can just fire you. And he goes, I could go afoot over the Siberian route and beat the French de Dion car, Hansen retorted, and pledged his allegiance to the American flag. Great. <laughs> what that. an easy decision. I love he's just like, I pledge allegiance. They're like, you don't need to do that. You're good. <laughs> like, just fine. Just get in. Come on. We're trying to make good time. We're trying to race here. 
Meanwhile, the Italian Zust was in Omaha, the French Didion in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and the French Motoblock in Maple Park, Illinois, and the German Protos a bit behind in Geneva, Illinois. As the Thomas Flyer approached frenzied crowds in Cheyenne, Wyoming, so the Americans are already in Wyoming, Monty Roberts knew that his time in the great race was nearing its end. He wanted to sail to Paris in May and race in the Grand Prix. Oh, great. (laughs) So he was just like, I'm done. See ya. Uh, Elin Mathewson, the son of general agent of Thomas Cars in the Midwest, would drive the flyer through Wyoming to Utah. Professional driver Harold Brinker, famous for surviving a crash the previous year that had killed another driver, would take command in Ogilden. Uh, Thomas Schuster, the indefatigable uh, mechanic, would drive through Alaska and Siberia. And Roberts would return when the car neared Europe. Wow. What a so he was just like, I'll just meet you at the finish line. But peace. Gotta I'm go out. to the Grand Prix. I love that they got professional drivers to go like a few states. And then they're just like, shoot, so you could just go through the entirety no of Siberia. The, the toughest fine. part where it's just, all swamp and you. like, we and just no roads and you're good. Uh, before leaving, leaving Cheyenne, Schuster bought a 34 caliber Colt with a six inch barrel, reasoning it would come in handy. He continued to sacrifice himself for the journey when no one else could or would, walking 10 miles in the dead of night to find gasoline and navigating the car out of gullies they couldn't avoid. His acumen had kept the car running through blizzards, freezing temperatures, and sandstorms. This guy's a champ. He's a champ. At each overnight shop, he repaired the fresh damage and readied the flyer for the next leg of the journey. And he was so unheralded that the newspapers reported frequently misspelled his name when they bothered to mention him oh at all. Oh, God. <laughs> this poor guy this is, is the just unsung the unsung hero of the. the he's literally he's the d- definition of an unsung hero. By the time the Americans left Wyoming, they were leading by two states. The Italians were starting across Nebraska from Omaha. St. Chaffrey was in Iowa awaiting parts for the French de, de Dion, while Lieutenant Copen and the German Protos and Charles Goddard and the French Motoblock were just entering Iowa. Uh, the Motoblock was having mechanical trouble, although Goddard was low to disclose specifics. Desperate, he decided, in violation of the rules, to ship his car to San Francisco by railroad. <laughs> <laughs> but abandoned but abandoned the idea when a photo f- photographer caught him in the act. Wow. <laughs> Schmuck. Godard received a cable from the owners of his car. Quit race, sell car, and come home. <laughs> <laughs> the French... Quit race. Stop. Sell car. Stop. <laughs> come home. Stop. I think he was I think we should keep keep going. I don't know. He was pretty know. clear. <laughs> The French motoblock was finished, leaving only four cars. Harold Brinker drove the Thomas Flyer from Utah through Nevada around the border of Death Valley, arriving in San San Francisco the third week of March, 900 miles ahead of his closest competitor, the Italian Zust. Factory whistles sounded and the automobile drivers blew their horns on Market Market Street. The The record of the Thomas car from New York to San Francisco was a remarkable feat, the New York Times concluded. Many skeptics declared when the New York to Paris racers started out from New York in the dead of winter that none of them would get across Wyoming until summer, some that they would not reach Chicago, and a few that could not cross New York State. The Americans prepared to ship the flyer on a freighter to Seattle. After a two-day trip there, it was transferred to a cargo ship headed for Valdez, Alaska. Brinker begged Schuster to let him continue with the team, even as an assistant, but the mechanic refused. It was finally his car and his turn. That's it. 
So he's taking a turn. He's he's getting a little bit of ego. On Wednesday, April 8th, the flyer touched in Alaska's soil. The welcoming committee consists of the entire population of Valdez, few of whom who have had ever seen a car. Yeah, Schuster, they probably don't get much action up there. In Alaska, yeah. Schuster wasted no time investigating the Valdez Fairdakes Trail in a single horse sleigh and concluded that the only way to cross Alaska in a car would be to dismantle it and ship the parts by dog sled. The Parisian Race Committee abandoned <laughs> the idea of Alaska and the Bering Strait and directed the Americans to return to Seattle. Wait, what? They were like, just turn around. Yeah, they're just like, uh, we we didn't even look into it. All of (laughs) British Columbia, or no, all of like that whole coast of Canada is between them and Seattle. The kids oh are- no, they they're they're just shipping them back. They're just they, oh, they took a ship there. Like they've already broken. You would think that they're just like, oh, we'll drive all the way up Canada. They're like, no, we got to Seattle. We're taking a boat. <laughs> and so their uh, their new plan called for the cars to sail to Vlad Vodstoka, but Vlad Vostok, and drive to Paris from there. While the Americans were still at sea, their competitors, including the ever troubled German Protos arrived in Seattle and set sail for Russia. Then the Americans lost time getting their Russian visas in order. The flyer had been the first to arrive on the Pacific coast, but now was the last to leave a few weeks behind the competition. Wow. They took that long to just get their documents in order. That's yeah. crazy. Well, also to sail there. <laughs> uh, the Italian and French teams were forging across Japan when the race committee made another decision in recognition of the time the flyer lost detouring through Alaska. The American team was given an allowance of 15 days which meant, essentially, that the Italian Zust and the French de Dion could beat the flyer into Paris by two weeks and still lose. The German Protos, meanwhile, had been penalized 15 days for resorting to the tr- resorting to the train from Ogledon to Seattle. The committee didn't disqualify Lieutenant Copen entirely, concluding that there had just been some honest confusion, unlike in Godard's case, about the rules. In Russia, the racers were advised to give up, <laughs> in russia the races were advised to give up just give up they just, Full they stop. just got there and they're just like just don't just don't, what are you doing how about you turn around get on another boat go home yeah and take this trans-siberian railway here's the thing they have good reasoning Scoville reported that the great men of the russian government all covered with gold lace outlined the many reasons the venture should fail we shall be met on the road by Chinese brigands, Manchurian tigers, fever, plague, patience, famine, to say nothing of the mud after three months of rain, mosquitoes as big as locusts, and other similar delights. So they're like, listen, guys, Asia Asia's hey, a pretty big place. You're going to die from, th- from th- bandits, d- giant locust-sized mosquitoes, we've tigers. Got, what have we got here? Tigers. We've got bandits. We've got locusts. We've got mud. We've got... They're like, we got pestilence, famine. <laughs> I think the other two horsemen of the apocalypse are here. We're like the I most think... shitty of convenience stores. What do you listen, want? Pick your way to die. The only reason people come to Siberia is to go to prison. So what do you want? <laughs> so what are you doing here? <laughs> so, so like, maybe leave. Uh, the drivers agreed to start again evenly matched. With one day to prepare, George Schuster searched for a supply of gasoline, which was scarce in Siberia. Back at his hotel, he received a note summoning him to St. Chefray's room. When he arrived, he saw the Italian team was already there. There is no petrol, the Frenchman announced. There are no means of getting any. What was, th- what there was is in my possession, and I offer it to the car which will agree to take me on board. 
Wait, so he's just like, fuck my car. I'm willing to, to ride now. Yeah, basically, he's like, the Italians left the room in disgust. Saint Chiffrey tried to reason with the Americans, saying that he could get a seat on the German car. But the flyer was sure to beat the German Protoss into Paris, and he wished to be the first car to arrive. He added that it would not look good for well for a Frenchman to ride on a German machine. Schuster calmly said he'd think about it. But he was seething. Privately, he told his team he that he'd rather stay in Vladstok, Vlad's, Vlad Vostok for the rest of his life ra- rather than accept saint Chefri's bribe. Without fanfare, saint Chefri transferred the rights of his gasoline to the Italian team, but was not allowed to join. His sponsor uh, had decided he had fi- he was finished. So that's all three French teams. They're there were gone. three French teams, and all three French teams are gone. In Perm, Russia, Schuster received a telegram from the Thomas factory in Buffalo. Do you want us to send Montague Roberts to help when you get to the good roads of Europe? That's just and Schuster was so mad. So he could have he could have quote eaten nails <laughs> as he put it and sent an immediate reply. July 9th arrived today. Expect to reach Paris on July 24th. Schuster. That's like when you send a text of like when you get so mad that you become just like Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get so mad that you send like a you. Oh, imagine being him. I'd like, be pissed. I would be absolutely pissed. The suggestion that he was good enough to drive the flyer through the bogs of Siberia, but not through the capitals of Europe's, impelled him despite deadened nerves and aching limbs. He was now only a day ahead of the German Protoss and determined to maintain his lead. There was one problem: Schuster kept getting lost. The Russians couldn't understand hand signals, and the Americans couldn't understand Russian. One wrong turn cost the American 15 hours. Jesus. Worse, the, f- the flyer sunk into a mud hole and needed a day's worth of repairs. <laughs> Did they say go right or go into the mud hole? I think they said go into the mud hole. It's like in the office when it's like, it says to turn left, <laughs> and they just go into a they lake. know something. <laughs> Schuster heard that Lieutenant Copen had left St. Petersburg the same day and was on his way to secure a three-day lead. The Italians remained 3,000 miles behind in Achmunsk. Uh, at 6.15 p.m. on Sunday, July 26, five and a half miles and 21,933 21, miles from the start of ti- in Times Square, Lieutenant Copen arrived in Paris, slowly guided the German protest down Boulevard oh, Poissonniere, uh, a delegation of editors from Le Matin grad- greeted him with tepid enthusiasm and served a cold buffet at his reception. <laughs> They're like, we wish you were French, but pretty good job. Imagine, imagine you you get there and you're like, I just want a hot meal. And they're just <laughs> like, like, here's a cold buffet. It's like in, <laughs> in uh, Castaway when he gets back and they have like a crab buffet for him. And he's just like, I've been having crabs like literally for the last <laughs> 10 years or whatever. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, Schuster was having breakfast at the Imperium Automobile Club of Berlin, where several people congratulated him on his good showing. He didn't bother to explain that the German Protoss would ultimately be docked two weeks for using the train in the American West, and that the flyer was allotted two extra weeks for attempting the trip to Alaska. Schuster had a month in which to get to Paris and still win the race. From Berlin. Yep. Schuster and his crew arrived on July 30th, the flyer making its way through the lines of the lighted cafes, the crowd shouting wildly, Vive le car American! They cruised uh, toward the Place de l'Europe when, in front of the Café de Pays, 
a guardman stopped the car. You are under arrest, he <gasps> declared. You have no lights on your car. <laughs> <laughs> Twist! <laughs> Twist! A crowd of Americans rushed from the cafe and tried to explain, but the officer waved them away. Ah, stupid Americans, you don't know anything about lights. You need lights on your car. <laughs> the law was the law. A car had to have a headlight to be on the streets of Paris at night. Or the driver was to be placed under arrest. What a, like, (laughs) no lady, no leniency. A quick thinking man, here's another twist. A quick thinking man on a bicycle rode up to the car, jumped off, and deposited his bike, which had a headlight, in the flyer next to Schuster. Problem solved. The guardman stepped aside. Oh my god. (laughs) I love it. He just threw a bike and he's like, good enough, right? He's just like, well, you got me, hands tied. This is like straight out of a This is like straight out of a movie. Where like there's like, oh no, last minute problem. Oh no, we're fine. It's wacky races. The number of times that they just get like sidetracked and people are just like getting into puddles and just stuff like that. Or just like backstabbing each other is great. Uh Schuster graciously insisted that Monty Roberts be present present for the Flyers triumphant return to Times Square on August 17, 1908. After the accolades and parties died down, he returned to his job in the Thomas factory, where he promised employee as long as the company was in business. Five years later, the Thomas company collapsed. Oh. <laughs> and all its goods were auctioned off. Lot number 1829 was listed simply as the famous New York to Paris racer. Wow. And that's the end. I of wonder what long thing. I, I took won- up the entire time. I'm sorry, Theo, that we No, that was a thorough ride. I wonder where that car is now. I wonder where I think it's it, sitting. I think it's in a museum for like automotive. That's wild. Where it belongs, quite frankly, because it is a piece of history that the, can we just talk about how it was in nineteen oh eight there it was this just w- a time when it was like we're just gonna do whatever. Yeah, we're, we're just gonna, gonna go. We're just gonna try it. Like we have this like half baked technology. We're just going with it. Back in the day when it was like you, your life l- meant less than getting your name in the margins yes. of yes. a history book. Because that's what Schuster is, is he's literally like a margin character. But he just like But he, he did, did all the things. He, w- he did he was literally the, everything. He was the member of the group project who did all of the heavy lifting and got none of the credit. He also did that the same thing that uh people in group projects do where he just took the reins and didn't let anyone drive. It's true. I I read this uh also that he other people were like, hey, can we like switch off? And he was like, no. And then he was the only one driving. And like those cars were hard to drive back in the day because yeah. there's no like auto. So like sometimes they had to have two hands, like bo- two people have to grip the wheel. So it was like, Argh. um, but he was definitely the unsung hero. But I, I want them to make this into a movie. I need this to be a so movie bad. so badly. This is because an incredible, <laughs> an incredible true story. That's true. lieutenant who tries to be a captain. All of the a, betrayals. A poet. All the people that are like the, the, the sale of the gasoline, the attempted sale. That's so yeah. good. Oh, and uh, the, the big fat <laughs> New York so Times. Good. The reason he's not listed probably is because he didn't really add anything. And then he left before they even got to another country. He was like, right. I'm out. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. In like Iowa. He was just like, I'm done. I'm, done. I'm getting out. <laughs> and then the and then they said, the like, quote, then the car flew, not like specifically, but like they started making <laughs> more progress. Um, but it's just, <laughs> I would love to, because that would be comedy bits by itself. Just a little bit of just like, oh, just it's so prime for someone to make a movie out of. It is, but uh, I think that's uh, we. I kind of took up all the time, and I'm sorry, Theo. I'm, but no, I'm glad you did. What a tale! 
what with the 1908 back in the day like we'd said with the the marathon run that we talked about in a previous episode from the early 1900s anything people goes. just did what anything, anything goes. goes yes the human body was a mystery to people and they just let people do whatever the world was a playground it was a playground and they just let anyone do whatever so they were driving these terrible they were literally cars like think about doing that today that would be a pain be in a pain modern has, cars right in modern cars but like doing it in basically a, a metal box with a chair stapled to it is <laughs> across, like across a, a world that has not yet had the automo- automobile like imprinted on it. There's no yes. roads. There's no there roads. Was actually, that was actually a thing that the uh, the results, one of the results of this is that they're like, maybe we should have better roads. And yep. then they did. They had, had created more cross country highways. So that's that's a good thing from this. Uh, from this. Amazing. And another a good thing that we have so many good fans. Thank you, everybody. For <laughs> I'm getting better at the transitions. You're trying. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this long-winded explanation of a 1908 uh, race. Remember, if you have any segments, if you have any history that you want to share with us, uh, send us an email at segmentcitypodcast at gmail.com. Hit up our Twitters at Segment City, our YouTube, Segment City. Uh Leave us a star rating or a review. We'd love to see those. Love to see it. Share with a friend. Give it. The, I know it's a hard pitch, but just say like it's two guys and they they try to. Uh, one of them doesn't know what the other is going to do, and they each have segments each week on a variety of topics. That's it. That's it. And you know what's not it? I have to prompt you every single time. I'm waiting for it. I want to see how you do it. Who do we got to think? We gotta thank Rachel Robinson. Thank you, Rachel. She does our intro music. She has a podcast of her own called Create Loud. Go check it out. Give her a listen. Tell mm-hmm. a friend about her. You don't need to tell a friend about her podcast. Just tell a friend about her. Say, hey, there's this gal, Rachel. She's <laughs> Rachel's great. She is great. And you're all great. And hey, the, just one last takeaway. Mm. USA. USA. <laughs> USA. Get us USA. back to the glory days of driving USA. across the world. That's what we need to get back <laughs> when to. When the Americans win, because they're the only... and But then also the lead guy can just, just fuck off. Which <laughs> <laughs> is great. Anyway. Anyway, thank, thank you. you for listening. We love you. I love you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.